नमस्ते गीति जी यू वेलकम टू दिस कॉन्वर्सेशन ऑन इंडिक अप्रोचेस टू नॉन बाइनरी जेंडर एंड सेक्सुअल ओरिएंटेशंस यू आर वन ऑफ द पायनियरिंग एक्टिविस्ट एंड रिसर्चर्स इनटू दिस एरिया यू वर वन ऑफ द फाउंडर्स ऑफ द अर्ली एक्टिविज्म ऑन नॉन बाइनरी gender uh, and sexual orientations uh, in this country in india and uh, you are the insider of uh, the activism in which the uh, non binary gender and sexual orientation area has been taken over by those uh, groups which are inimical to indic approaches hinduism and hindu approaches and all that and uh, uh, we want to hear from you how all this happened uh, with a small introduction to how you entered into this uh, area of activism and research okay. it's a long story because uh, actually uh, when i was in school i refused to say the christian prayers i said i'm not a christian i don't believe in jesus so they wanted to throw me out from school so i was about 15 and a half and i said uh, i refused to apologize i don't believe in jesus um, i don't see why i should say our father who art in heaven so they said we have to expel you and at that point i was doing very well in uh, school i would have become a mathematician or a physicist actually and i was also uh, playing table tennis so i was a table tennis champion at that time but that didn't help for them it was jesus how can i not believe in jesus so that was one of the key points in my life because i made this decision that i am not going to close my mind ever that the mind is the mind the intellect the chit is one of the most beautiful things that we are given in this world so i left that i left formal education and i started uh, reteaching myself sanskrit i started trying to understand how the architecture of the language is is formed and i wanted to travel around the country so i bought a small uh, pickup truck and i bought a small camera i bought some you know cameras and i thought i would taxi people around to make a living and to see the country i had absolutely no idea of, you know what this country was so anyway i was coming back uh, on a flight from frankfurt and because at that time it was very difficult to get equipment in india and my mother was in the airline so i got a free ticket so i managed to get some equipment from uh, berlin and i was bringing it back and i met a young, and i met a 66 year old woman on the plane and she said will you take me around india so i said sure she said but i have to tell you i'm jewish i'm from israel i said no problem i'll take you around so i drove her 6000 kilometers around india and it was my first journey into looking at these temples and one of the, the first place i went to was kathira the first major temple site that i went to was kathira and it was just incredible i had never seen anything like this we were brought up because we, we were a partition family there was absolutely uh, you know no images of any hindu uh, pratimas lying around because our families had lived under so we didn't realize that at that point you know i mean it's a very liberal family lots of languages were spoken and uh, extremely liberal but there was absolutely nothing 
at all from, no rituals from Hinduism, nothing. But this notion that somehow this deep civilization identity was there. I mean, part of my family is Sindhi, so from the Karachi side, but they were traveling all over. And part of my family is what is today Multan. So they lost everything and they came here. And I think that sort of urge to know our own civilization was such an intense driving force. So that was one part of the story. The other part of the story was uh, once I started, you know, learning all these, reading some of these old texts, some of them which haven't been translated and studying the language, uh, I realized particularly the grammar because, you know, the grammar is, is the basis of the architecture of the language. And then I realized that, uh, uh, you know, uh, there's such a rich Shakti tradition, there's such a rich tradition of the feminine, there's such a rich tradition of um, Chit Shakti, you know, of Chit, Chitambaram, you know, it's, uh, everything is linked with the Chit, Chit Akash. So that is so strong, the Kundalini energy and the Jami energy. And so it was really, I felt I was initiated into this path. And so on the other level, I had the activism because at that time it was very difficult to have, uh, you know, non-binary identity. And, you know, I was driving, by that time I had a gypsy, so I was driving a Jeep and I had camera equipment. So I was breaking all the gender norms, the sexual norms. Uh, and so there was that part of the activist identity. And I realized that, you know, we have this incredible tradition, civilization that can give us so much strength, so much Shakti, uh, that um, we can derive uh, the best from all the worlds. We can derive the best from the activist world in Europe, in the West, because at that time, that movement was very strong, the movement here was very weak. And plus, we have this tremendous civilizational memory that we can activate. So that was the basis of both my intellectual and my activist work. Oh, excellent. Uh, so, uh, I uh, see you uh, looking at these temples, these uh, sculptures, uh, all these from a spiritual perspective. How do you connect your spiritual understanding, uh, inner world practices, contemplative practices, uh, aspect that you get into, and these non-binary gender and sexual orientation understandings that you are into? But the, the, the thing is that uh, if the, the one of the, you know, one, one of the things that when I was reading the Rig and I came across this concept or this uh, nomination, because in Sanskrit you have these cases and the first case is how you nominate something, how you name something. Uh, and I realized that there was something which was called Dhyava Prithvi. And this Java Prithivi was in rotation. Now, all the translations at that time were saying Java father, Java's father and Prithvi's mother. But actually, Java comes from Dhu, which is light. So it's the same. Now, in Sanskrit, you can basically have a singular, you can have a dual, and you can have a plural. Java becomes feminine dual, but as one unit. The dual is one unit. Yeah. It's even more fascinating because it's not simply that you have two of a kind, but that because those two are so interlinked, like twins, they become one of a kind. 
they're a unit, but made of two. Yes. So, and then I realized this, this has to do with light. Now, my other passion in life is, uh, you know, uh, is, is light energy, photography, cinema, everything, the moving image, kinetics. So, what I started to understand is that the language has this visual, has this tremendous process of inner visualization. Because you can keep creating these compound works through roots. So everything you can go back to a certain root. So you go back to dual as light. Now you have a dual, you have dual light. And this is moving with the material principle. This is described as revolving triangles. Now, there is a commentary, another Sanskrit commentary on the Rig Veda, on this particular Rig, which says this is the, the, the Abha were the two mothers. These were the two wombs. So you had this notion which, the, say, the Jews have of the double triangle of the Star of David. Actually, in, in these older texts was described as the double yoni. Mm. Now, in some traditions, you had to keep this one yoni hidden. And in another tradition, you celebrated this harmony of these two yonis. Mm. Uh, now that, uh, you know, when you're not, uh, once you have that, you're not in opposition to anything. So I had no problem finding myself within my uh, uh, Indic tradition. Yeah. So because with this kind of a background in Indic traditions, well-rooted in Indic understandings, you entered into uh, activism uh, with regard to these uh, um, notions, with regard to these orientations and aspects. Uh, how, how did you find yourself in the company of uh, others who were in that activism? There was a lot of, there was a little bit of fascination for these traditions, but there was a lot of rejection also. Mm -hmm. My generation was brought up in this so-called secular. Uh, and those of us who were genuinely secu secular in the sense that we felt okay, that there was a citizen space which, uh, in which you basically had to find your own path. You know, you had to have a civilian space which was dealing, decoupled from uh, whatever institutional, uh, you know, institutional belief which is really the basis of the idea of secularism, which came from the Christian traditions. Mm. That you created, you uh, decoupled from the church and you decoupled from the clergy and you decoupled from the state, the clergy decoupled from the state and so on and so forth. Of course, here the situation was totally different. So when I started studying these traditions, I realized that I don't need to decouple because of the simple reason that uh, Hinduism gives us the choice of finding our own Swaish Devi or Devta or a mm. constellation. Mm. So you can have your Ish Devi, you can have your Ish Devi, you can have a constellation of divinities out of this, I don't know how many infinite crore uh, possibilities that they are. And you find you have your own modality. Mm -hmm. So this interior divine. Mm. We have all over, I mean, in the sense, you know. My grandmother, she was an Arya Samaji, uh, so she did her, you know, she did her chants early morning, you know, somebody else or something else in the family. 
So they could be whatever, you know, you learn to commingle with many different possibilities. And this was the beauty of, say, that form of Hinduism which says you're born from the same womb. But each is unique. Each is, each is, each is a unique hardware. Mm. Each has its own unique DNA, each has its own unique memories, each has its own unique ancestral memory, cosmic memories, and so on and so forth. Yeah. And when you go into this Chit Atma space, you go beyond it. And you go beyond body. Mm. And if you have the Kundalini energy, even if you are a, in some mode with somebody else, there is a Sangam. And in that Sangam, again, there is the idea that it, there is such a tremendous opening of joy, of Anand, Sampoorn Anand. Mm. You always enter into this uh, Atma space or this uh, absolutely divine space, which is beyond body. Mm. The enjoyment is at the level of the body. Mm. But there is always in that ecstatic moment or in that absolute ecstasy, there is the thing of the third eye opening or there is, like I said, this notion of uh, chitanand, divine happiness. Mm. So it's very different, uh, it develops a very different psyche to the European psyche, which I've also studied. Mm. Uh, uh, now, uh, there you see you have, because you have this notion of the jami, which is something which is a form of mirroring. Mm. There is a sense of, you don't have to possess your reflection. Yeah. So, the, the question is, uh, uh, all these understandings uh, from people like you who have got uh, a deep uh, Indic root understanding of uh, spirituality, contemplative practices and all that is uh, that uh, this whole uh, LGBTQI etc. activism that is uh, now global, it is global and most of the Indic activism also is connected to those global activisms and all that. Uh, what do you think is the uh, loss to the Hindu aspects or Indic root aspects of uh, uh, such understandings if this is left to be universalized and globalized just like the way it is now? See, the, the problem is that a lot of this, the new activism is coming from, firstly, there is no authentic protest. Mm. You see, I mean, why should the LGBTQ protest against uh, the lifting of 370? Mm. 370, it means you have your, your equal, you know, uh, homosexuality is no longer criminalized. Mm. So why should you want a Sharia law? Mm. If you're genuinely, you're genuinely you know, interested, I mean, you know, if there is an authentic protest, mm. You're not going to be, uh, you, you're not going to get into a totalitarian ideology. You're not going to get into a destructive ideology. Mm. And this is also the difference between when, even in the West, when the movement first came about, it was, you know, there was a genuine attempt to reach, to be global, to reach out in a good way. Mm. I'm not saying that, you know, there weren't problems, there were problems, there was, you know, boundaries and so on and so forth. And I mean, every you know, uh, every human being is a part of what their own cultural context is. So there are all these aspects which were there, but there was a notion that there is an authentic protest. Mm -hmm. Because they were coming from the Second World War, 
Second World War has been very destructive. I mean, and uh, you know, they're very. Uh, uh, I mean, there was a million gay people in Soviet Union. You know, my friends were saying that we were scared every time the doorbell would ring. So there was there was a very you know the, there was a heavy atmosphere which, uh, you know, which led to this kind of authentic protest. Mm. But here we don't have that. Here, by and large, a lot of families they families will accept, you know, you make, uh, you sort of find your own space. And um, if you want to make a career out of activism, then what has happened is that the money which is being poured in is not being actually poured in to really work on uh, gender issues. It's being poured in to basically attack, attack Hinduism, attack any self-affirmation of the Indian state. So the problem is that these activists are being co-opted into a very dangerous, very dangerous form of totalitarianism. And this totalitarianism comes from the idea that of victimology, not of celebration. Mm. See, in terms of, say, when I study Sanskrit texts of Sakshakti, it's always about, you know, Sampurnananda, Chittananda. You know, there's always the idea of this beauty, bliss, happiness, ecstasy. It's always, you know, something positive. Mm. Politics is a hierarchy of who is the victim. Mm. So you're actually, what you're doing is you're actually creating one identity after another. You're creating a hierarchy of identities. Mm. And you're creating no form of fluid communication. Yeah. Actually, I come from uh, my studies of uh, some uh, spiritually oriented uh, transgender communities like Jogapas and Arvanis and these people. And uh, my problem, the problem that I was able to see was that these categories and of the whole spectrum that were created were not able to accommodate these people that I was able to study. Uh, and uh, from where they come, from what are the roots of uh, their uh, transgenderism? Their, uh, their transgenderism is rooted in a religious practice uh, towards either Elama or Aravan God uh, or these people that doesn't come out of these so-called secularized uh, uh, categorizations within the spectrum. So th this is uh, what happens at the end of the day is a misrepresentation of uh, these traditions, removing the religious aspect in it, uh, religious roots in it, the Hindu roots of uh, these traditions. Uh, th uh, that is the greatest uh, loss that happens to Indic traditions when we leave the whole activism or theoretical studies to such uh, secularization of uh, these non-binary gender and sexual orientation studies. Uh, another thing that I see is uh, uh, the Victorian morality uh, from the colonial times, uh, whatever went into a kind of uh, uh, self-observation of the Indic culture 
by the indic people that made them feel guilty about whatever happened in the past in their society and all that they started applying this to uh, kama sutra material or pujaraho material or uh, uh, that you were talking about or the konark uh, sculptures uh, that people see and uh, you are aware of uh, popularization some kind of a correction of these uh, sculpture material that they wanted to do to suit their newly created uh, understanding from the colonial impact uh, can you speak something about those corrections that they were doing about these sculptures and the textual material and you see these temples were for i think for them were basically for the colonials for the missionaries and even for islam i mean they were the absolute antithesis of what their ideological system was all about because mm -hmm. in the christian church all you can have is you can represent jesus but jesus is always on a cross so that's again a very masochistic uh, rendering i mean why don't you take him off the cross mm -hmm. I mean, you put him on the cross, okay, but you know, you're not going to leave him on the cross forever. That's a very sad thing to do. Mm. I'm not saying this, you know, in a frivolous way. I'm actually saying this in a very serious way. Yeah. Imagine they come here and they say this is all idol worship and this is all nonsense and this completely breaks their sense of because you see, sexuality is one of the most taboo areas mm. in these belief systems. Mm. And the fact that you can have the pleasure concept, because if you always, if you're predicating a belief system on martyrdom, how are you going to have any kind of pleasure-oriented life energy? You cannot have it. Mm. And if it's staring into your face all the time, you know, in this form, in that form, here, there, I mean, you know, it's going to drive you nuts. And, uh, uh, you know, the Portuguese, what the Portuguese church did was just horrific. I mean, you know, you have, I mean, there's very little of the, the temple tradition left in Goa. Or what was colonized by the Portuguese. At least the British didn't destroy it to the same extent. Of course, Islam destroyed everything. I mean, everything that they could lay their hands on, they, they, they tried to smash. Now, why is this fear? The moment you have a psyche which is based on shame, shame of the sexual. Mm. And look at even, uh, I mean, you, you look at the dress code in some of these old temples. See, the women are in the nude or they have very little clothing on, the men too, you know. There's very little clothing. I mean, this is, this is a celebration of the body. Mm. Whereas in the whole Victorian tradition, I mean, you just, you know, the woman has a corset and I don't know, she's tied up some thousand times or something. You know, mm. The body is, you know, the clothes, are meant to tie the body. Mm. You know, and even if she's a nun or, or a priest, then you're supposed to sort of again, like deny your body. So the whole, the, the tradition is very anti-body. Yes. And uh, uh, that was a huge problem. Now the other problem is, of course, that what they then, the, you know, endologists then, Western endologists then created the thing that, oh, you know, this is all idol worship and abstraction comes from Islamic geometry. Mm. And that's really what really infuriates me because 
in all of these temples, the way they work out geometry, graphics, uh, you know, the movement of images. And you know, because I was coming from a film background, you know, in those days you worked with the, with the film. Now, what is actually film technology? Film technology is actually you're shooting frame, frame, frame. You're shooting 24 frames in a second. And then the projector is moving that. When you're projecting it back, then you're moving it. That's how you're creating movement. What are the temples doing? The temples have these complex, you know, variations on one theme. Or one can be on a symbol, can be, you know, they can move from uh, geometry to human figure to animal figure. You can see it from one side, it becomes something else. You see it from another side, it becomes something else. And so the movement is created through the parikrama. Mm. No centralization in that sense. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you can have a womb space, you know, you can have a gadra, you can go there, but many of the older temples, there were actually no, many of them had no centers. Mm. So you had this whole notion of a very complex uh, 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 cinematography in stone. Mm. Moving frames in stone, but even more complex because the frame, you know, the cinema frame is moving one frame at a time. Mm. This is going, you have like a, a pillar. You have one perspective here, one perspective here, one perspective here, one perspective here. Non-linear rather than linear, yeah. And eight perspectives. Yes. Spiral. Non-linear, yeah. Non -linear. Yeah. The moment you have experienced these things, you're automatically initiated into a non-binary space. Mm. Mm. You don't even realize it. You know, it just sort of, you know, you just go somewhere, it initiates you, you have strange dreams, you research, you work, then again you're back on the road. It's just, I don't know, I was just driven, I don't know where I got the energy from to do what I did in those years. Mm. And you mentioned Kundalini and all that. So you were able to see uh, such uh, tantric yogic aspects uh, in these sculptures and in these temples and their architecture also? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. In fact, you know, after many years, I just stopped reading because I felt the memories were coming and I felt like I could access certain states without even... Uh, with nothing, I mean, with no images, with, you know, with no words, nothing. I mean, there is such a, you, there is, it, it, it takes you into dimensions and dimensions and dimensions. Yeah, so that, that's another area where uh, it gets totally misunderstood by uh, the contemporary Indians themselves. They, uh, uh, when they look at this kind of heritage, uh, they probably, it trained in a post-colonial, uh, post-Christian uh, uh, world of education uh, with that kind of a legacy. They have developed a self-hate uh, looking at this kind of heritage from this newly trained understanding uh, uprooted from their own roots. Uh, they started misunderstanding themselves. They started misunderstanding their own heritage. Uh, for, uh, uh, completely divorcing it from the deep roots that you are mentioning uh, from uh, Tantra, Kundalini, Yoga and uh, such uh, contemplative inner world uh, practices to which these 
things have been connected and uh, uh, you have been repeatedly saying that it is at that level that the binaries all all the binaries disappear and uh, there is a whole world that gets opened for you where you don't talk about the binaries anymore and all that so that uh, is another loss uh, uh, by leaving the theoretical studies and the activism to such uh, uprooted uh, understanding of indian culture indian heritage that's another problem that uh, we are getting so one problem is that uh, indic traditions hindu traditions of uh, uh, non binary lifestyles and uh, practices are misrepresented uh, from the global perspective that is coming not coming from an indic root not coming from the hindu root and uh, uh, another thing is it is creating a hate it is creating a self hate uh, among uh, indians and uh, hindus uh, particularly among youngsters uh, the younger generation which is uh, now towards a broader understanding of these gender and sex orientations and all that uh, they come from uh, the stories of victimization of uh, such orientations from different uh, other societies other faiths and other ideological orientations and they attribute it to indian tradition also where it was not there yeah so uh, you, you, uh, uh, you what was your experience in uh, working among those uh, global groups of uh, activists and all that? you see the problem was that the moment they brought up the idea of religion it was always monotheism mm. i always said you know hinduism is not a belief based religion mm. not bhakti you can have you know someone like me i'm interested in the mind i'm interested in i mean i'm interested in chit that's my hardware i mean i am like that mm. so, he's a dancer or a musician and she she or he's a performer Hmm. You know, you can perform the divine. I mean, I'm an interior person. I will go inside. You know, I'm more of a in a yogic kind of. Uh, so I will go inside. But uh, somebody else can manifest it from the outside. Somebody can be a karma yogi. So you don't have this uh, this um, obsessive belief. Hmm. Yes. See, why should you want to say? our father who art in heaven in school every morning or even worse why should you know in islam you why should you have a loudspeaker who says to say your god is the greatest and is you know, that is it and that's absolute exclusion hmm you say it five times a day it does something to you how can then you be friendly with somebody else you always consider somebody who doesn't have that belief system to be your enemy because that's mm. how your organization is is drilled into you mm. it's like a propaganda there's nothing free about it mm. now when i tried to intervene in any of these spaces and i started to bring in you know the different facets the europeans would hear me and they would get fascinated on an individual level you know they would want me to speak they would you know uh, invite me for a dinner have a nice bottle of wine on a private level it was fine 
but they got scared on a more theoretical level. Mm. And I think that there's a fear of the brain. You know, the, the problem with a lot of these activist traditions is, mm. including communism, communism is one of the worst. Mm. Is that uh, you're scared of culture and you're scared of the brain. Mm. Because you ha- you, you're an ideology. So if you allow people to, you know, think and, you know, think openly, mm. it's okay for you. Mm. So, you know, they would say, yes, but, you know, we cannot have Hinduism. Mm. And the sad thing is that I knew some, you know, young Indian children at that time. And they were forced to have uh, religious classes. You know, mm. open Especially one religion, but what was taught? Only the three monotheisms. Mm. They automatically were ex- uh, excluded. Yeah. So you had the space of being exotic, at least in the Western sense, but even that space got eroded. Mm. And but in the Marxist sense, there was no space. There was absolute fear. And I think what's happened here, very sadly, is that there is such a segregation. Mm. Young people, they, you know, they they have a self hate. They don't know how to deal because you're young, you're you're fragile. Mm. So you don't know how to handle uh, challenges. You don't know how to handle issues. So you start to hate. It's very easy. It's very easy to have uh, to witch hunt. Mm. Yeah. You know, in French they say "bouc emissaire." So you just protect on to anybody or any tradition that you. You have a um, Modi hating syndrome, you have an Indic hating syndrome, anything that you can push on to, which is beautiful, you hate because you're unhappy. Yeah. And that unhappiness you glorify as victimhood. Mm. And then you indulge in a cult frenzy. Mm. It's exactly what happened with, the, you know, with the, if you study the history of communism or, or the Nazis, they're very similar. I mean, you know, Nazis and National Socialism. Mm. The Jews was because you know Jews were bright people, they were intelligent people, they had assimilated really well, and you know they were doing well. And uh, that they, they felt they had to give away their wealth. Yeah. And in when the in the Soviet Revolution, after the Soviet Revolution, people think it's only Stalin which is bad. No, but I think you know Lenin is it starts with Lenin. Because they started what was called the secret police, which is called the Cheka. And they were just like, you know, four or five people, and they would say, okay, Julian Tolstoy, killer. You know, it was like that. I'm not joking. This is really the records which are coming out. Mm-hmm. This is too bourgeois. Yeah. Uh, this writer is too bourgeois. They uh, mm. their entire, you know, forms of their own culture, which is what Mao did also with the Cultural Revolution. Yeah. Now, you know, if you have a hatred of culture so much, what are you going to do? You're going to set up cults. Mm. You're going to set up uh, rioting. You're going to set up cults of violence. Mm. Because that's the only way you can release your negativity. Yeah. In a and that is unfortunately what a major section of the movement has become. And that's where the movement threw up. I mean, you know, it's the gay movement which created something, someone like a Devdutt Patnaik. And he came to me many years ago wanting to learn something. 
about mm. the Jews. He totally manipulated whatever he, whatever I talked to him about. Mm. Mm. Yeah. See, this, uh, these uh, people have not uh, actually moved in uh, the cults, uh, Hindu traditions. We should not use the word cult. Hindu traditions where uh, uh, what from a uh, Western perspective from the LGBTQ movement perspective might appear to be fitting into their movement, into the spectrum that they're showing, but actually has a different route uh, than what they're talking about. It probably sometimes is not even a sexual orientation. It, it is probably some yogic practice. It is uh, probably some contemplative practice outwardly uh, appears to be some kind of uh, cross-dressing, uh, but actually it is not about cross-dressing. It, it, it's only an apparent cross-dressing. Uh, for example, the Shaktiya practitioner, who uh, is a male but wears a, a woman's dress, he is not actually interested in any sexual orientation at all. It's not all about sexual orientation. Uh, he is into something else, uh, but the language of costume uh, that he is using is for the outer world, for the observing world is the costume of a woman. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the inner practice that he is into has nothing to do with sexual orientation at all there. But these things do not come out. Uh, if the whole discussion is left to this whole uh, big spectrum of 52 or 28 or whatever, uh, uh, gender variations that these people talk about. Uh, everything, every time comes about sexual orientation. It is all about sexual orientation. Actually, sometimes it uh, looks as though this is, this whole movement, this whole activism has been over-sexualized also. Uh, yeah, it is over-sexualized. Uh, it is, uh, actually, there is so much about sexual disorientation and within sexual disorientation there is a voluntary sexual disorientation on the part of ascetics, uh, sannyasis and brahmacharis and there is an involuntary sexual disorientation among infectile women, infectile men and all that and these things have, uh, uh, have been accepted in Hindu society from uh, the perspective of, okay, if I am an Ayurvedic practitioner, I do Vajikarana uh, to solve the infertility problems or uh, lack of sexual potence uh, kind of problems and all that. And it is taken easy. It is just taken as normal. Uh, this is part of life. It, it, it was always taken as part of life. And uh, a person who is voluntarily sexually disoriented is not looked down upon at all. It is just taken as normal. It is just, okay, some people are not oriented, some people are disoriented, some people have a different orientation. All these varieties uh, were very well accepted. But this movement, the current activism is all about orientation, orientation, orientation. Right. Not about disorientation. Exactly. Uh, uh, and once you come into that orientation, it is all about sexual orientation and it is all about sexual activity and the whole activism is not over sexualized. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, 
you, your uh, understanding of uh, coming from your temple studies and uh, culture studies uh, can you help us know more about how the uh, uh discerning between apparent sexuality and inner non sexuality and all that has been connected to uh, the understandings that you got from these studies you see the, the the thing is that once we start looking at it from the aspect of kundalini energy hmm. and uh, once you realize that this kundalini energy you can basically move in it at the level of attraction maybe to another human person mm. or you can use attraction at so many levels because you know, once you have spiritual connection and spiritual communication you can use this erotic energy this kundalini energy is not it doesn't have to be over sexualized all the time mm. You, I mean that's why we have the notion of calmness, but you also have the notion of you know rati or you know something, uh, something which is non-body, and they don't. Mm. Mm. I mean it doesn't say that you shouldn't have calmness. Mm. Yeah. You know you so you, that's why in Khajuraho you have you know beautiful calmness, and then you also have like very subtle depictions in which. Uh, is very uh, the energy points mm. it's not sexualized the body is the erotic energy points mm. i mean if i take somebody there because it's so hidden i mean it takes it, it took me 15 visits to khadira to uncover this because you know you have the notion one has in hinduism the notion that there is something stool mm. and there's that sukshma mm. so you can move into that Cool calm, and you can also move into the sukshma calm. Rati. Mm. Mm. So all these different possibilities, and if you take it on to the mind level, I mean exactly, you know where all our spiritual traditions are. I mean you can have it with yoga, you can have it with forms of, uh, uh, you know, third gender in uh, in the daily space. It's a, it's a spiritual thing. Mm. Uh, you perform something. I mean you're performing. See a transition. Mm. I mean, Krishna can become Kali and you know uh, identify with Radha as Sakhi Valabhi. Yeah. Uh, uh, or you can have a Hari Har, mm. uh, which can be a pure uh, cerebral. Mm. Yeah. So it's it's actually forms that come together, or you have the the Devi, and there's the whole notion of the triadic Devi. Then you have the Kali, which is the Tamas, which is the fuel, which is the fire, the Tejas. You have Saraswati, which is your Ras, your Vidya, Vidya Ras, your Music Ras. Mm. You have Lakshmi. Mm. You have all these different energy spectrums. I mean, basically, when one thinks of the Kundalini, you think One thinks in terms of energy spectrums, and the body is one space of that. Mm. And also, that attraction also has something spiritual. Mm. Because what do you have? You have the idea that you have attraction to someone, and there is a some 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 karshan. So there's a it's like a magnet which is you know which both 
energy fields are coming together and harmonizing to something beautiful. So you have the term like Sammakarshan. Sammakarshan. Mm. So you have all these things with some. Mm. Yeah, I mean, even Sanskrit is actually a Sandhi of Sam and Krit. Mm. Yeah. Sam and Gam. Mm. Sangam. We have some Leela, you know, and then the, that's the other thing. But the Devi says everything is a Leela. So sexual play is like a Leela. Yeah. Congress is a Leela. And, and then we have the concept of Ras. Yeah. Uh, see, with, uh, in the Western world, if you have, anytime you have a spiritual connection or, you know, something beautiful, there's a problem that they will try to sexualize that. Because yet, you know, you, you have a space. You have a space where you can communicate very finely with somebody. And you feel very, there's a trishna in that. There is a very beautiful sense of connectivity. But that doesn't have to be sexualized. You know, and that's the other side of the story. You know, it's like in... Uh, uh, again, in the West, you have normative heterosexuality, you have the norm, and then you're fighting with the norm. Here, we don't have that. If somebody's in grihasthi, I'm happy to enjoy it. They know I'm not part of a grihasthi tradition. They recognize it. Regarding these uh, uh, yogic concepts, what mm -hmm. I remember is uh, uh, the word Jogappa, the, uh, the community I, on which I was researching, that word comes from Jogin. Originally, mm -hmm. there is there is a uh, tradition called uh, Jogin tradition, mm -hmm. and the male version of that uh, transgenders uh, who become Jogins, males who become Jogins are called Jogapas. And that word Jogin has got Yogin in it. Yogin yeah. has turned into Jogin. Yeah. And the uh, yoga aspect in it, Yogin aspect in it is what gets hidden if you talk about these people if you misunderstand these people in terms of uh, say for example hijras uh, mm -hmm. or in terms of uh, the general third gender you know very broad third gender that people create and all that but if you get into uh, the actual details of this what i have seen in my field work is that most of these, either whether it is Jogins or Jogapas, they say that uh, we are not interested in sexual orientation at all. We are mm -hmm. not interested in any sexual aspect at all. We are uh, the bhaktas, the devotees of, uh, say, for example, Yallamma, uh, here in this cult, or if it is Arvanis, it, uh, we are devotees of Arvan and all that. So there is a much more complex relationship between, uh, see, for example, you can be a transgender male and can get married. <laughs> Yalamma is a female goddess. You are getting married to her. Even the Jogins are getting married to another female Yalamma <laughs> goddess there. So this, uh, what is that marriage there? is uh, another at a different level at a yogic level at a totally a diff different level and another aspect that uh, uh, this gets misrepresented in these uh, representations in courts of law in legal cases and all that is 
they have mentioned one sivasattu lollu uh, one group and mm. these sivasattu lollu are uh, professional spiritual possession people they participate in temple fairs and festivals mm. and uh, they get possessed by goddesses mm. and males who get possessed by a female goddess repeatedly get feminine tendencies in them Mm-hmm. and they uh, are identified as transgenders again they are mistook for uh, uh, the people mistake them for transgenders but it is not that the uh, story is all about spirit position mm-hmm. and this spirit position also as you uh, keep repeatedly saying is a kundalini activity it is uh, uh, what people call spirit position is uh, a yogic uh, phenomena it is a uh, kundalini phenomena that is happening in them and they talk about it they they know the details of that and all that but such details of uh, an inner contemplative spiritual practice of yoga uh, inner spiritual uh, contemplative practice of uh, spirit position avahana uh, that is happening in them and all that completely gets lost uh if you uh, do not give priority to a hindu way of interpreting these phenomena and uh, universalize them in terms of the worldwide secularized lgbtqi movement that uh, is another agony for these people if you take these people into these movements and processions and paradings and all that they completely get lost in it and they they feel so agonized that they are also being included into the herd of all these uh, uh, people uh, and they are also uh, looked down upon or uh, they are also categorized as somebody looking for another male partner or female partner or something like that so uh, they who has to hear to their agonies About, about their agonies that they are completely misrepresented their spiritual aspect is not being covered and all that so your emphasis on spiritual practice your emphasis on the inner spiritual uh, practices and inner world ideas with regard to this it becomes very very important in this context of uh, hindu way of looking at uh, the ancient hindu traditions of uh, uh what otherwise looks to be some general non binary general uh, non binary gender and uh, sexual orientation practices yeah please share your views on this yes you know um i worked with um, this uh, whole thing of kale you know they have it in himachal a lot on a full moon night and they play with the paris they call it kale with the paris so this is again one of the leela traditions again associated with the devi exactly what you were saying and um, it's it's uh, it's very incredible because i started showing them uh, images of uh, devi pratimas and all kinds of different things and the some of the women who never had kale themselves suddenly during the workshop they went into trance mm. and um, the energy is so powerful that everybody in the workshop could feel it even those of us who weren't in kale i mean uh, we could all feel it it is really Uh, i mean it's very intense it's it's uh, you really feel that something else is is happening and it is very funny because eventually you know the ngo who had given money for the workshop came to ask the women so what happened with the workshop 
you know, saying, what did you benefit? Because, you know, the NGO is basically the usual, you're destitute, you're poor, you, you know, yeah. they, they have the same sort of Christian thing that we're going to uplift you on that level, but they cannot experience energy. So one of the women said, uh, you know, we played with the goddesses. Yeah. You should have seen the person's face. The person was Indian. His face just fell. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, I mean, this is really what the problem, you know, this, this is really the agony, which I think is there. And I, yes. I go through the agony myself, which is why I feel I cannot even, I sometimes feel, you know, I've worked as an activist and what did I achieve in all those years? You know, maybe what I wanted to do 30 years now, uh, you, you all are doing. But uh, sometimes I really think, you know, the, uh, there is a complete uh, disassociate with the spiritual in these traditions, in the energy. I mean, how can you fix, how can you always be fixated on the human level, on the lowest human level? Yeah. You know, and the other problem also is that the, the, the problem also of a lot of this secularization is we are looking at the the uh, the lowest common denominator. Mm, yes. So you're not looking to get uh, uplifted, or uh, you're not looking to get uh, the details. Exactly. Specificities, or, the nuances, the yes. greater nuances, more detailed nuances. Uh, so you, you want something in common among all these and uh, yeah, the least yes. common denominator. So there's always a base level and you're anti-mind, you're anti-any intellectual, uh, you're anti-the spiritual, you're anti-the intellectual, you're anti-any kind of depth. So you're always living with this kind of fear and then you know if you ghettoize these groups, ghettoize, then they do mean things to each other. You know, the way we've seen this with Indian politics, it's the same thing that they're doing there. And then, you know, there's huge amount of money. I mean, who is Indra Jaising? Why should she get, uh, I don't know, one crore of money for, you know, taking away the law and she doesn't turn up. She's fighting the case on both sides. So there's no dharam also. You see, there's no, there's no notion of that there is a chit dharam, there is a calm dharam, there is a swadharam. So there is no ethics left at all. Mm, exactly. Yeah. And, I mean, is that all you want? Is you want to go to a park and have five minutes of uh, jerking off? I don't understand it. I don't get it. I mean, I don't get it. But my inner personality, my, my hardware doesn't get it. So I understand, you know, if you are in, if you're working, if you're part of a temple tradition, you're part of that, uh, you know, the spirit tradition. And, um, and you have, you go into, you go into different consciousness spaces. I mean, I've been into spaces which where there's either so much light or, or there are very few people I can talk to about. Yeah. If you look at the categorizations in the whole spectrum that they do, uh, there is no scope, there is no space for the other categories like spirituality, like uh, religious practice, uh, like uh, Kundalini, like Atman, like none of these things actually are, are in the criterion of classification. The, the, uh, the whole criterion of classification is all about sexual orientation. Yes, that's it. Uh, the, just body, at the body level. Yeah, so and at, is, at the crude body level. It's not even, you know, uh, yeah. it's not even something that, you know, you think, you know, at least what you have in Kajarao is you have, you know, you aspire to, 
you know, make it into something finer. Mm. You, know, you aspire to something else, yeah. even at body level. Yeah. So the uh, that is where actually there become there there comes a lack of representation or misrepresentation for these Indic traditions, where actually the uh, very motivation or the starting point of the lifestyle or practice is spiritual. It all it is all starting from a spiritual uh, angle, and uh, all that is just getting totally hidden from here because. You have to somehow fit into this whole spectrum that is that has been created by these people. By it is all about what kind of sexual orientation or what kind of uh, crass dressing, cross costume you have. That's all. Exactly. But exactly. There, is, there is no mention of the origin of this, this motivation of this. There is no religious criteria in it. There is no spiritual criteria uh, that is mentioned here. So you don't get mentioned at all into any of this whole spectrum. No, but see, even the root of yogini is huge to fuse. Mm. Here comes j, you know, that is the phonetic things. Many languages here changes into j. Now the now yoni comes from the same root as to fuse. Mm. Mm. And the yoni is represented as uh, three eyes, triambak. Mm. Mm. The form of triambak is. Part of that constellation. See, the other thing is that uh, you don't have gender war. If you don't have the, uh, you basically feel that every gender has to attain the best in themselves. They have to arrive at their, their finest potential. Mm. And if one person achieves their finest potential, it brings the other person to try to get their finest potential. Mm. You're not going to the lowest potential, lowest yeah. common denominator. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that is where you have the Sangam. I mean, you have, for instance, you have a sculpture in which you have, you know, uh, there's a fusion in a wheel of, say, eight uh, human, whatever gender. Mm. But they fuse together. They fuse at the umbilical cord, mm. you know, at the, at the Nabi. Mm. Mm. Now, you're going back into the cosmic womb. You have an experience of the cosmic womb. Mm. Mm. And what you're also saying is that uh, what is the concept of para? Para is when you say, see, you have param as the first. Mm. And even the English word primary comes from param, is derived from param. Mm. Ultimate, beyond. Yeah. No, para is what is beyond. Mm. So you know, this is another aspect of the Devi that mm. you move from your human confines into the para. Mm. In the param, param. Mm. Yeah. But also, you know, because you're still human, we have to keep coming back into the human. Mm. Otherwise, you know, we just go into the paramatma and, you know, lose a uh, human body. Mm. So there is always this sort of uh, relationship between, you know, uh, moments when you move into the para space and then you have to come back. Yes. To the human form. So, and that's, uh, that, that's, these are all transition spaces. That's why you have Utsavs. You know, that's why you have, like, you have an Utsav at a sp specific time, you know, uh, according to the moon or the sun or whatever, you know, they vary in different parts of the country. Mm. And 
what happens at that time is that you know you have uh, the idea you have the thing that you can as a collective entity move into another space move into the para space are you writing down all these things uh, 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 as a collected material collected interpretations into a, a whole a coherent whole somewhere uh, as a book no i mean i even stopped writing because uh, it's only because of my work with you that i've actually started to you uh, photograph and you have uh, very good visual representations also and uh, so you you can put those pictures and uh, then all these interpretations uh, that you have and that will definitely make a very good book gtd uh, you probably have to uh, very soon come out uh, with a book on all this uh, the whole world will be benefited uh, but you know i just feel that uh, this is a drop in the ocean and you know uh, i i feel that you know uh, you gave me the space you know i've been boycotted in india i mean actually i've been invited more outside the country than to give lectures and slide lectures and even write even you know write the occasional uh, article or something than here here the movement is totally boycotted so i really have to thank you i really have to thank you all for giving me the opportunity to be able to present this work in my own country that one single temple that you chose from delhi that uh, uh, near agra uh, that whole uh, one single temple and all the sculptures and the interpretations from that itself actually i think uh, makes a very good book it's a whole book full of uh, information and analysis and understanding it will take people from uh, what is apparent to what is actually inherent in it and the deepest understanding uh, can you say something about that uh, tejpur uh, is the temple tejeshwar this is in delhi what i showed during the workshop that was uh, delhi was called one of the words for delhi was yoginipura hmm and uh, the the so called kutub complex they built their first masjids on those temples on those old temples and when i used to go when i was young that is you know when i was in my teens and you went there the only thing which was important was to go up the tower the minar and we were never told that these are hindu temples when i started doing this work i said that these are hindu big figures everywhere the figures and i started working very deeply with the place uh, i really have memories right i can see some of the things in the original and then i started to uncover that the entire city was a temple city i mean i gave hari ji a proposal of uh, you know how delhi was turned into the caliphate but really this is one of the finest temples and unfortunately even the the uh, historians all they say is oh there were some vaishnav temples there were some jain temples i mean you have to get into the basis of it this is these are really third gender this is these are the yogini temples which were absolutely and yogini is an inclusive thing because you can have all kinds of divinities but that whole space that whole non binary space that whole pine space in these which you can still see despite all the destruction is still there but i can tell you that you know the uh, defense colony welfare association is in one of those old temples which is converted into a gumbad today 
And this is the, also the genocide which has happened. But on the other hand, like I said, the memory is so powerful that once it starts to come out and once people start to tune into this, I think something very beautiful can evolve. Yeah. The other thing about this this temple is that it was linked. You know that uh, you know it's not like it's say it's the the temples had a root. Mm. So say you take a root of the yogini belt. Mm. Maybe you, the yogini there are other constellations of divinities. You know, because often you had, but they're all say along the chambal or they have river. They meet on certain river points. Yes. Delhi could be Yamuna, you know, and I have memories of a temple uh, near the Yamuna, which I haven't been able to uncover, but I have like very powerful memories, which I have not been able to find, but dreams, memories, whatever you want to call them. But the thing is that when you have these uh, Hindu kingdoms, they built on some Delhi. So you have the Pratihar. Uh, dynasty, which built in Madhya Pradesh, they built in Delhi. You know, Delhi was part of their, their, their kingdoms. Now, if you look at the roots on the Chambal, what do you have? You didn't have Rajasthan, Madhya Pradesh, and Delhi. A root on the Chambal, near Gwalior, you have these incredible, you have these incredible two yogini temples, and you have a temple city, Bhakteshwar. You have a temple on a hill, yogini temple on a hill, which now they in social media, they're writing about it and saying that the parliament was actually designed on the temple. Uh, this is on a hill and you know, in uh, the 80s when I went there and I went there, I took two, two, two young people from the Gwalia Museum, very sweet. And it took us hours to find the place. There was no road, there was nothing. And then there is a Naresar Yogini site, which is not like a round temple, there's a Chamunda temple over there. And you go into a ravine and there's water. Now there's not much water left, but that would have been the hidden form. So one on the hill, the Mitavali temple on the hill, round, you know, open to the sky, the other hidden. Now you continue on into Rajasthan and you have a whole belt of temples on the Chambal River, where you have waterfalls, you have gorges. Yes. And some of them, you know, you can, you can, they're still kept, they're still under the archaeological survey of India, so they still work. I mean, they still, they still have a lot of uh, beautiful imagery, but a lot has been destroyed. So they were entire roots. So you didn't have the idea that this temple that I show from Delhi was isolated. It was part of a whole constellation of temples. Oh, yeah, that's... And you see the same thing. You see, if you go to Gujarat, you have Patan, Mudhera, Siddhpur. So you'll always find roots. Okay. In, you know, in Karnataka, you have, okay, you still, you have Hampi, but you have so many, you know, in Karnataka, you have so many uh, places which are filled. I mean, I'm not getting the names now, Belur, uh, Alibet, these are all known places, but there are also some not known places which were on the route, but were destroyed. When I was driving around, you know, I had notes and went to all these places. So they were also on the route. Same thing with Alampur. Hmm. So AP, Andhra Pradesh, you know, the Alampur is linked to Hampi. There is a certain route of temples which you can still find. How do you get these connections? Do, do you Did you come across some uh, text that was mentioning connections among all these temples or your own intuition? 
or sculptural style or how do you uh, identify these things? It's a combination of various things. I think, you know, once you start doing this work, uh, you know, it, it starts to, it started to come after maybe uh, 10, 15 years. You know, automatically you would, these connections, you would start to see these connections like this. Mm. Initially, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a phase where you're still researching, you're still looking at text, you're still a little bit on the outside of it all. You're still in the uh, realm of fascination. Mm. And once you start, you know, I was driving in around the country, so, um, and, you know, in Himachal, I used to walk. Mm. So, uh, uh, then I went right up to Spiti and uh, Ladakh and all these places. Partly walking, partly driving, partly, you know, combination of different. Uh, and then every journey you start to, uh, uh, you know, takes you, opens up something else. Uh, and then you do the research, you find the text, then somebody tells you something. And then suddenly you see these roots and then you realize, yes, you know, uh, like I realized also there's a connectivity because you start working with, say, certain mythology, say like the uh, Sati mythology. Now in the Mahabharata Puran, that's a Shakti text, uh, actually the whole idea of uh, the body being cut is that you have energy points, you have Shakti peaks all over the country. Yes. And Shakti peaks actually establish some kind of a, a Shakti cosmology. Mm. So you're actually mapping the entire country, the, the, the physical geography yeah. on a cosmic plane. Yes, yes, yes. So you go away from gender. You know, this is the whole thing. You start with gender, then you go away from gender. Yes. So then you know, the mythology only becomes a vehicle for something else happening. Mm. Yeah. And then you realize, okay, when you start to map out some of these points, you realize, okay, there's, there's a river tradition. Uh, you know, there are certain mm, geographies which are common to them. Mm. It's like I go to Bhedaghat and I realize that this is geographically, geographically a very high energy point. And the same thing happened in Europe when they built the, you know, Notre Dame and, you know, some of the big churches. Some of them were built on what, what is called earlier pagan sites, but I don't necessarily think so. You found, they also found special things in their geography, special points in their geography which had high energy. Mm. So you find, you know, it's like the power guard. Uh, power was very powerful. That's again a, a Shakti Peet. And all of these things, you climb up some several thousand uh, stairs. And I was very fit then. So, you know, 4.30 in the morning, you climb up and you see this incredible dawn. You see a lake on this hill, like a plateau. And the area, the, geogra the geography of that point is so powerful. How they found these places built on that, how they took, you know, Stones are don't ask me. It's a mystery. I mean, either they flew it or what they had, what technology they had. Do they belong to the indigenous traditions there in Europe? They, they do they belong to the indigenous uh, cultures or communities there, or uh, they are identified as Christian temples or something like that? I mean, you know, some of them are. It's like Shastra was. They say built on something more ancient. But you see, you know. Uh, uh, even with the church tradition, Christianity has on one hand a very negative tradition, institutional tradition, but whatever it is, it allows for some transcendence. Mm -hmm. So you see, 
you you take the church and you take the music you know they build this even though like i think they should like i always say that take jesus away from the cross you will really reform they really reform the theology mm. but some of the churches though it's heavy but it's a cold climate you know you can't make uh, open open air temples there but what you have then is you you know you make beautiful organs and so you you develop say a stream of music with that Mm. which which also takes you on a transcendence so you have composers say like a bach or something yeah with, you know beautiful mathematics beautiful sound it works with resonance you know so you work with the sensory intelligence mm. now if you go to say to the greek the greek pantheon or the roman pantheon they weren't necessarily so developed on the spiritual way the way say hinduism was and i'm saying this without any um, you know uh, chauvinism or anything because i don't think we need chauvinism but it's a much more human oriented pantheon and the roman pantheon was a much more imperial pantheon mm. you know and also the say the christianity of the armenians is very different okay so here you see this uh, energy points and all that it's still restricted i mean it doesn't have like third you know the third spaces or whatever but there there are spiritual traditions mm. there is at least a level of the spirit and um, you know i remember when i was uh, fighting with my nuns over you know this whether i should say the prayer or not and i said i won't and i quoted them dostoevsky and i realized that you know I read Brothers Kamazov when I was 14 years old, and they had a community center library, so I found Dostoevsky. But he's very accurate when he says that you have the the hero who is the son of Nile brother, mm. but he is he is a believer, and he has the spiritual believer. Mm. You have uh, Ivan, who's very thoughtful and very questioning. what he becomes the nihilist oh <laughs> that's very interesting mm that's really interesting yeah yeah and ivan uh, is the one who says you know man made god i mean man invented god so it's a, it's a very very powerful uh, mm. you know, very powerful if you're seeing it as what the orthodox clergy was and uh, in fact you know the character ivan in some sense uh, you know uh, Uh, is a precursor of uh, communism in a certain way yeah so, something like kundalini or some inner world uh, body centric ideas uh, that they give or they they talk of something beyond the body beyond the world kind of uh, energy they talk of something beyond the body but they are not able to you see in our tradition we don't uh, negate the body mm -hmm. we want to come back to the body we come back to the body it's not either or Mm. you always have a transit point yes you know you can have the yogi who totally abandons the body and who can leave it and go into a samadhi yeah now but you can also have somebody that you come back you you hear a bhogi i mean in some sense i'm a bhogi too i enjoy my you know south indian coffee it gives me great pleasure you know these are small things in life but they give me absolutely great pleasure i don't uh, i just have my one cup you know whatever you know but uh, so you have the idea that you have bhog and ras 
The problem, of course, even in the spiritual traditions in the church is, is somewhere this masochism is always there. Mm. You know, somewhere you have to punish yourself. And it's very dangerous, you know, because even it's like, I mean, I, you know, I know this about Christian schools because, you know, when we, we were young, they used to try to sell us a pamphlet called Soldiers of God. I don't know whether they do it now. And it was all about, you know, people being tortured. Somebody was torturing somebody. Mm. And that is where this whole victimization, victimization okay. narrative comes. And uh, even this whole non-binary movement has been converted into a victimization. Yeah. Ironically, it, it comes from victimization from the church towards this non-binary and now it is the church which talks about the victimization of the non-binary. Exactly. Ironically, it is, it is so contradicting, it is so self-contradicting. And you see, that's why it remains stuck. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, even the finest minds, even the sensitive people get stuck into it. As you rightly pointed out, it is here on the Hindu side, it is celebration. It is, uh, it's not victimization. It is celebration. It is articulation. It is uh, expression. It is manifestation of a, a more nuanced inner world uh, that is getting uh, represented in this whole spectrum of uh, non-binary uh, gender and uh, other aspects. Actually, super gender, uh, something which is beyond gender, okay. is at the be, uh, uh, at the back of all this multiple gender thing. Multiple gender is possible because there is something which is super gender. See, I mean, what is the principle of Shakti? You know, Devi says, "I am beyond gender." Yes, it's... I'm all genders and I'm beyond gender. Yes, and if you look at it on a pure linguistic level. Uh, uh, say when she takes on the name Shiva. Now Shiva mm. is in shape. Mm. You see the feminine form and say we do away from physical, uh, you know, uh, gender. But what it is actually saying is the feminine gender, we're calling it the feminine, but it actually it includes the masculine. Exactly, yeah. So the fluidity at the expression level is rooted at something which is beyond, something which is super gender. Yes. Because there is a, a, the, the actual entity is beyond, they, because the actual entity is super gender, the, all the outward expression of that is so fluid. It, yes. it, it can be anything. It can, it can move from one end to the other in the whole spectrum. Of, yes. So with that, thank you very much, uh, Geeti ji. Uh, uh, this was a great opportunity. Uh, we have so much to explore from you. Younger generation has to get trained under uh, learned people like you. Uh, please give us an opportunity to uh, provide younger sishas to you to get trained in the interpretation of uh, temple sculpture, uh, the entire uh, richness of our heritage that we have in the yogini temples all over the country and uh, all your rich experience on the theory side and the practice side and activism side it should get to the second generation is our wish please help us in doing that thank you very much for giving us this opportunity to have uh, this enlightening conversation 
Thank you so much. And thank you for giving me the possibility to work with you. Uh, for me, it's a dream come true. It's very beautiful. Thank you very much.